Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. The San Diego Convention Center is back after serving as a shelter during the height of the pandemic. We'll discuss the future of conventions after the news. A federal search warrant unsealed Tuesday gives more insight into the Bonham Richard warship fire and how a 19-year-old sealed dropout became the prime suspect. The records were filed in San Diego Federal Court by the Naval Criminal Investigative Service. They also suggested someone sabotaged the ship's firefighting effort, as well as tampered with crime scene evidence. Seaman apprentice Ryan Mays, who is now 20, was charged by the Navy with aggravated arson and hazarding of a vessel. His lawyer, Gary Barthel, says Mays denies wrongdoing. The city of San Diego is suing the real estate brokers who advised the San Diego Housing Commission to acquire two hotels to house homeless people during the COVID crisis. The purchase prices of the hotels in Mission Valley and Kearney Mesa were among the highest per room costs of all hotels sold in the region that year. The lawsuit targets Kidder Matthews Incorporated, a real estate broker, Agent Jim Neal, and Chatham RIMV LLC, the former owner of the residence inn. City Attorney Mara Elliott announced the legal complaint Tuesday, saying the defendants made fraudulent representations and violated conflict of interest laws. San Diego City Council on Tuesday replaced its 65-year-old parks master plan with one that officials say will prioritize underserved neighborhoods. The council also committed to creating 100 more acres of parks over the next 10 years and voted to create a regional park at Choyas Creek Watershed in Barrio Logan. Since the pandemic began, the San Diego Convention Center hasn't exactly been a convention center. Over the past 15 months, it served as a socially distanced shelter for homeless people, then as a shelter for unaccompanied migrant children. But now it's back to conventions. Marin Doherty, Executive Director of Marketing and Communications at the San Diego Convention Center, thank you for joining me. Um, I wanted to ask about the convention center. So it held its first event since March, 2020 over the past weekend. Uh, how did it go and what were the new rules? Hi, yes, thank you for having me. We did have our first event back in the building on, beginning on August 1. And that was the first event we had here since March, 2020. Um, we were really glad to have this particular event back as our, as our first one. It's SPIE Optics and Photonics. They have been longtime partners of ours. They've had events here in San Diego for three decades um, and they're scientists. So we really appreciated partnering with them as our, as our debut back into the meeting and events world um, because they were so focused on ensuring that they would have a safe and comfortable environment for their attendees and their exhibitors. Um, and that event is actually still going on. It, it, it concludes tomorrow. Um, and it's been going extremely smoothly since it opened. What were you requiring of attendees? Um, did they need to prove vaccinations? Were they wearing masks? This, this is a, an event that falls below the threshold for um, the, what, is, what is deemed a mega event by the state. So the state came out with guidance um, for events that are below um, 5,000 attendees and those that are above. So for an event that is above 5,000 attendees, they do need to ensure that their attendees are either fully vaccinated or have had a negative COVID-19 test within the last 72 hours. Um, of course, many of those events will have additional protocols above that, 
The same is true for this event. This event did fall below that 5,000 number. There's, they had about 1,400 um, registrations for this um, event on site, along with additional virtual attendees. Um, they've, I would say the biggest change um, from fire events is largely what you don't see, which is the high vaccination rate. For example, we know that 100% of SPIU's management and staff is fully vaccinated. Um, we also were encouraging mask use among um, vaccinated attendees, as well as requiring masks among un unvaccinated attendees. And we saw widespread adoption of that. Um, most of the attendees that I personally spoke to were fully vaccinated, but still opted to wear their mask in light of the variant concerns. The convention center and its conventions bring so much money to the region. You know, it's estimated that during um, this past, you know, almost a year and a half, almost $2 billion in local economic impact was lost. I mean, what, what does recovery look like going forward? That is a big number um, with, with the economic impact. And that is part of the reason why we've been so focused on bringing back event activity safely, responsibly, knowing that we did lose those 150 some events. Um, going forward, we do have um, about 30 events on our calendar for August through December. Um, attendance is still unknown for those, um, given the continued um, international travel restrictions and you know some of the other factors involved. So we know there will continue to be a ramp up. We won't be at our you know 2018, 2019 um, economic impact numbers right away. Um, but we, we are certainly focused on ensuring we do everything we can to align with the safe um, protocols with the state and the county and to ensure we can start to bring back this type of activity. I wanted to ask about uh, the convention center's role during the pandemic. You know, although conventions weren't happening, it still was serving an important function in, in the community. Uh, you know, first it was a homeless shelter, then it was a shelter for unaccompanied migrant um, girls. Was that precedented for the convention center? And, and I mean, do you expect to see more alternative uses in the future? It was absolutely unprecedented. And um, it was a, really a test of, of our staff's ability to adapt and continue to meet whatever needs and expectations came our way. Um, we were a shelter for about 15 months with, uh, with serving shelter to home for 11 months and then serving the children for almost four months. Um, and I would say that one of, the, one of the most challenging parts of that was the actual transition because the uh, shelter for um, the adults for the unsheltered population, that was closing on a Wednesday, um, which was a date that had been pre-established and was we were all working towards, you know, winding down that shelter and ensuring that those residents were moving into longer-term housing or back into some of the bridge shelters, depending on um, their specific situations. But then we actually only had a couple of days to transition the facility from that use to the next use, which was um, as a federal emergency intake site for unaccompanied children. So that was just a, a huge effort um, involving so many different departments within our organization um, and ended up truly taking over the entire building. So unlike shelter to home, which was confined to our, the lower level um, exhibit halls and not even all of the exhibit halls, the emergency intake site for the children 
was absolutely everywhere. <laughs> so we, we had rooms that were used for education, rooms that were used um, for food, rooms that were obviously for sleeping, um, but lots of other activities for the kids um, and then the legal services and other social services. So it was a 24-7 operation and absolutely all hands. And we just felt so um, appreciative of the San Diego community for pitching in and, and really um, showing their support the whole way. And I would say that that wasn't necessarily true for every other city that was involved with meeting this need. But here in San Diego, we absolutely felt that support. Yeah, you know, after having done this, has it changed the way you're thinking about the convention center and future uses? Or were there any big takeaways, you know, from from these, uh, these stints? We, we know how to build something up and take something down. That's what we do constantly, right? For every trade show, for every you know major meeting and convention, we're constantly scaling up activity and, and doing whatever we need to do to meet our clients' needs. In these cases, we did gain a lot of experience in emergency response. Uh, we worked with FEMA. We worked with, directly with the CDC. We worked with county public health for almost the entire time. Um, so we had all of these partners and we absolutely strengthened our relationships with the city, county, federal partners, which does position us and does help us, you know, be in a position to be able to support any future emergency response needs. Um, I don't see that right now we do have a, a calendar of events um, and, and, I, and I don't know that we would necessarily have that availability, but if there was a situation in the future um, that happened to surface, we, we know how to mobilize for sure. Yeah, can, you know, as you mentioned, conventions and the way they're sort of they look and they function have changed a lot because of the pandemic. I mean, what do you think the future holds for conventions? We have learned that um, the virtual environment cannot fully um, meet the needs of exhibitors and sponsors of events and and attendees, and those are for all different reasons. Um, or, you know, something like a trade show just, just does not translate well to a virtual environment. And so we see that the demand is still there. We hear over and over again from our clients that while um, the hybrid component may continue to be a part of their organization's activities or, you know, perhaps um, sporadic virtual events throughout the year, the whole notion of a convention and the whole thing of, of bringing people together face-to-face -to -face is, is something for which there, there's still gonna be this demand. Um, what's also been interesting is that we're starting to hear from some corporate clients that because um, their employees may begin to work from home um, on an ongoing basis, that there may actually be more of a need to bring those employees together on a periodic basis, say quarterly or annually, um, and that there might actually be a new need in those kinds of environments for these face-to-face -face interactions. So I think that we come away from this feeling more, we certainly feel confident that that demand is still there long-term. And we also know that specifically the demand is still there for San Diego, that people keep saying, we just, we can't wait to come back. Like we're so sad that we've been away for one year or two years. And they, they're just like, we cannot wait to be there on the Bay again. And so that's always reassuring to hear.
You can find more news online at SanDiegoUnionTribune.com. I'm Christy Totten, host of the San Diego News Fix. Thanks for listening.